This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But actually, Tom, uh, what had caught my mind, uh, my eye about this subject was a speech from an SEC commissioner a couple of weeks ago, kind of teasing out new ways to think about internal control and cybersecurity. And that's why we're here today. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds. Tom and Matt really go into the weeds on this podcast on the intersection of ransomware and internal controls. We explain how ransomware is different than a data privacy breach and why that recalls a different set of internal controls that you may not have in place. We explore the internal controls, how you would test and or audit those internal controls, and where the SEC may be headed in enforcement. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, uh, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we are going to really go into the weeds to talk about cybersecurity, ransomware attacks, and internal controls. So, Matt, first of all, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, could you tell us uh, where you are today, what you're doing, and how that relates to your overall geekness? Sure. So uh, I am in Washington, D.C. this week for the AICPA's annual conference on SEC and PCAOB reporting issues. Uh, So there's a lot of talk about financial reporting rules, a lot of talk about external audits. And as it so happens, Tom, and listeners should know, Tom and I decided on this topic before I came to the conference, but just yesterday, there was a session at this conference devoted to cybersecurity issues as they relate to internal accounting controls and audits and financial reporting. So it's something that is very timely on the minds of the relevant agencies, it's on the minds of audit firms, it's on the minds of internal control and financial reporting executives just here But actually, Tom, uh, what had caught my mind, uh, my eye about this subject was a speech from an SEC commissioner a couple of weeks ago, kind of teasing out new ways to think about internal control and cybersecurity. And that's why we're here today. Well, Matt, could we start off with uh, what are some of the possible cyber headaches you see or have seen? Well, it's for a while now, cybersecurity attacks have been evolving. I don't think that would be news to listeners, but we could probably divide them up into two categories. I think for a long time, we were accustomed to privacy breaches. Hackers break into your company. They abscond with however many millions of customer records that they then resell on the dark web for identity theft or various other types of fraud or things like that. But the point there was that these were largely the big headline stuff, the big cases that gave your board a heart attack, they were privacy breaches. And they're not even stealing your customer data. And this is an important point. They were copying your customer data and then taking it away and absconding back off to wherever they were from. Um, So that's type of attack number one. But type of attack number two that I think is now happening much more and is very different are 
ransomware attacks where a company might fall victim and they will actually hijack your IT system and lock it out. Maybe they'll lock out the customer data. Maybe they'll shut down crucial operating systems so you can't, say, process sales or you can't file your regulatory reports in a timely manner or you can't manage your payroll or something like that. So you got ransomware attacks and you also have unauthenticated attacks where hackers will probe your SAP or Oracle or other business software systems looking for glitches, vulnerabilities, weaknesses that you have not yet patched. And it's like finding a crack in the wall so they can sneak into your house and then they can rifle through all of your stuff while you're so proud that you've locked the front door. But you forgot the fact that if you're not maintaining your ERP software, you know, the house is rickety and falling apart. There's all sorts of ways to wiggle your way in if you're an attacker. And then once they're in, they can do all sorts of other stuff, including execute, say, a wire transfer to an overseas account of actual money in the company's bank accounts. Uh, That's something else that could happen in an unauthenticated way. So we've moved from privacy breaches to actually stealing real assets and blocking off things that you're never going to get back. Could we take a step back and could you define what an authenticated attack is so we can contrast it with an unauthenticated attack? Sure. The authenticated attack would be where somebody, some hacker, steals your uh, user ID and password. They send a phishing email to one of your employees. They click on the link And lo and behold, then they log into some bogus website and they capture your user credentials. So you can authenticate falsely that you are a legitimate user on the IT system. It would be kind of like if they steal a copy of the key to your front door where you have all those access controls and the locks and everything. But they've stolen the keys so they can come in the front door. As opposed to, as I said, the unauthenticated attacks where none of that happens. They'll never encounter a user password uh, login screen or anything like that because they've hacked directly into the business software code uh, because it's also, you know, the metaphor of the house works quite well here. If you've got a crickety old house with cracks in the walls and users can, or attackers can sneak in that way, it doesn't matter how good your authentication controls are at the front door. And that's the difference between the two. I also heard a couple of different, not types of attack, but focuses of the attack, of the ransomware attack. So you talked about locking out systems so that you couldn't do business, and you gave the example of uh, couldn't build customers. You also talked about stealing assets. That asset could be cash where you wire money out, but that could that asset be some other uh, uh intellectual property that the company might have that a a ransomware attacker might steal so they could use or steal so they could make public and make it useless or worthless to the company. They could do that, yeah. So uh, you could steal intellectual property and maybe give it to a competitor in another country. You could just shotgun it on the internet. So uh, now the prized intellectual property is open for everybody. And, you know, what's the point of that? Uh, There would be big legal hassles in trying to recapture the value of your secret sauce, if everybody knows what it is. Um, So hackers could lock you out of key systems. They could steal key data. They could steal money. But 
Tom, I think the important point here is that privacy breaches were about copying data, but you still had the customer records at the end of the day. These new attacks, whether they're from ransomware or unauthenticated uh, attacks through your ERP, or even business email exploits where they impersonate the CFO and they send a letter to somebody in financing, please wire 20 million to this overseas account. But these other attacks, they really are about stealing the assets. Once the money is gone, the money is gone. But once the privacy records are copied, the consumer records are still there. You know, you can still use them. And it's a very important distinction of, that has a lot of implications for internal control. Uh, Matt, when I listen to that definition after having read your blog post, I guess I see or hear uh, the bad guys getting more sophisticated because it's one thing to copy and then monetize by selling a list of customer personal information to the black web. But if you can lock down a business system or threaten to steal an intellectual property asset unless you pay me, uh, that would seem to me to be a more efficient criminal business uh, process to utilize. Well, it's uh, yeah, really. I mean, the I think the hackers now understand how to grab the short hairs at the back of your neck and how to pull on them really hard. Um, the The implication for internal control is that if one of the points of an effective internal control system is safeguarding of assets, and that is it. That's the language. That's the language in, I think, the statute of the FCPA. It's certainly what the Securities and Exchange Commission and others now say internal control is supposed to do. It's supposed to safeguard your assets. <clears throat> well, if the privacy breach happens and they steal all of your customer data, or I should correct myself, if they copy all of your customer data, you still have the customer data. So that asset, which is really just for marketing purposes, or if it's employee data, it's to send them paychecks or something, like those assets still have the value. They haven't been compromised. Um, you know, they've been copied and now somebody's reselling them, but you can still use those assets for their intended purpose. So I'm not sure that safeguarding of assets really fits with the privacy breach. But if we're talking about money as the asset, and the money has now been wired overseas because you fell for a con, or because you didn't upgrade your software, so they snuck in and executed a wire transfer, that asset of cash, once it's gone, it's gone. So your internal controls weren't safeguarding it to a sufficient level. And that's the important distinction here that I think, as we talk about internal controls coming into the modern era, and... Are cybersecurity breaches a really big deal for the SEC and for your annual audit or not? I think for a long time they weren't because it was privacy breaches and nobody liked them, but it didn't result in a material misstatement of your financial uh, statements. Um, it did not result in any loss of assets because the assets were customer records you still had. This that we're talking about today these new next generation of attacks, this is completely different, and it's very much on point with you don't have solid control over your assets. You don't necessarily have solid control over your financial reporting. So now it very much is an internal control, external audit, SEC issue in a way that we would not have seen, say, five or ten years ago. We're going to have a quick message from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more Compliance Into the Weeds.
About years ago, I interviewed the uh, chief information security officer at Coca-Cola, and we were talking through his approach to security around assets at Coca-Cola. And, and he said the following, which has really informed the way I've thought about this since that time. He said, look, if, if they bust a Coke machine and they steal the money, yeah, I don't like it. If they break into uh, our SAP system and somehow get money, I don't like it. I have, but I have one thing that I have to protect. You know what it is. I know what it is. The bad guys know what it is. And what that really, uh, I took away from that is, you have to start with a risk assessment of your assets. And then you're never going to be able to protect all of your assets, but you have to protect the crown jewels, whatever the crown jewels might be. It seems like this description you're giving is that uh, perhaps we need to rethink that approach because you have to protect more than simply the crown jewels. Uh, would that be a fair assessment? Well, first time I have to ask, so what was the it that he was saying? Because I would assume it is Coca-Cola's secret recipe for Coca-Cola. Is that what he meant? First off, to, to my understanding of what I've read about cybersecurity, I'm pretty sure the Chinese have already stolen secret recipe, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, but let's say they steal the recipe for Coca-Cola. Um, you've got all sorts of future problems. Your revenues might fall. You're going to have shareholders suing you. You're going to have the Federal Trade Commission maybe getting in your face about how did you fail to protect all of this or something like that. But none of that, as unpleasant as it is, none of that is going to involve the Securities and Exchange Commission. None of it is going to involve your external auditor studying her financial reports faulting you because... The secret sauce for Coca-Cola is not a financial asset. It's not a line item. Um, you might have an idea of what it's worth, but like, it's not a number that you audit. There's no generally accepted accounting principle for Coca-Cola's secret sauce. There's all sorts of other problems that follow on when you have a privacy breach or other types of cybersecurity attacks like that. What I am saying is that increasingly... There is another class of cybersecurity attacks that are going to directly affect your internal accounting controls. You might have a material weakness you're going to have to declare. If you don't declare it, uh, then the audit firm might get crosswise with you. The Securities and Exchange Commission might get crosswise with you. Um, so there's this new level or class of attacks of cybersecurity that really do affect ICFR, your external audit, your relationship with your auditor, your relationship with the SEC, what you're putting in the 10Q for disclosures about um, controls and procedures and material weaknesses, which I don't think you would have seen that 10 years ago when it was just all about protecting customer data or protecting other non-financial assets. Um, that's the difference that I think we're going to see because now, eventually, regulators and auditors, they're going to wake up to this, and they're going to start flagging material weaknesses in your cybersecurity controls that I don't think we would have seen before. So you lay out in the blog posts uh, what some of the controls might be and how a company might think through assessing their own uh, internal controls around cybersecurity, but you also raise the point of auditors. And how does an auditor come in, or do auditing firms uh, even have the technical expertise to assess internal controls around cybersecurity? 
or it, do they have to bring in a cyber expert? How, how do we go through that process to satisfy the SEC if they come knocking? So uh, I think the most accurate answer to that question right now is that we're not really sure. Um, let me give you the example back to your business ERP software system. Now, you have to maintain and upgrade that ERP system. You have to implement new patches promptly. <clears throat> you have to assess it for uh, vulnerabilities you might find, things like that. So would you, the company, then hire a cybersecurity firm to analyze your ERP? You come up with 317 different weaknesses you have to fix. And then you can give it to the auditor and say, these are our weaknesses. We are fixing them now. So you can't flag us as having bad general controls over IT because you know we know all the problems and we're fixing them and here's our roadmap and we'll do it in 60 days or 90 days or something like that. Now, that sounds reasonable to me, but if you're the audit firm, do you accept that? If you're the PCAOB that regulates accounting firms, do you say that is an acceptable auditing practice for cybersecurity? If you're the Securities and Exchange Commission, do you say that that's all copacetic? Nobody has any real good answers to this yet, because essentially we're all having to trust some other third party to say, yeah, yeah, this cybersecurity is going to be effective now. Well, the modern standards for auditing don't necessarily reflect that. Uh, if you're an audit firm, would you then audit the cybersecurity firm that studied the ERP system? Would Because we don't know. We don't know what the right answer to that question is. But what if the cybersecurity firm got hacked and then somebody gave a bogus answer to the client company? There weren't 317 flaws. There were 517 flaws. But I'm going to cover up 200 to use it as a victimization of the company later on. That is not a far-fetched scam as cybersecurity goes. Like, these things could happen. So there's a whole lot of questions still. And in fact, Tom, at this AICPA conference, it's what we're trying to answer right now as we rely on more specialists to analyze our cybersecurity. Um, as audit firms rely on specialists, as companies rely on them, and then give that report to the auditors, how do we know that the specialist is qualified? What if my specialist as an audit firm has a different answer than your specialist, the client company? Which one is right? Who puts something in the 10Q? What are we supposed to say? We don't have good answers to that yet. But I do think that the Securities and Exchange Commission is waking up to the idea that this is a real problem we have to think about. Uh, and Tom, I would just like to say, you know, why are we talking about this at all, you and I, today, is because just a couple of weeks ago, my favorite SEC commissioner, who I've quoted many times, uh, Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw, who is, I think, the resident theorist on Securities and Exchange Commission, she gave a speech where she was talking about cybersecurity and internal controls. And I just want to quote one sentence she gave that jumped out at me and kind of put me on this trail to have you and I talking here today, where she said, I'm particularly interested in understanding how public companies are responding to various types of cybersecurity intrusions and attacks that public issuers are facing, since these create threats to management's ability to safeguard the company's assets in particular. And there we go again, management's ability to safeguard assets. The attacks have changed. So the threat to the assets has changed. So the controls you need to put in place to safeguard those assets, that has changed. 
and I don't think we have the real structure yet to provide assurance in the great audit industrial complex that swirls around 10Q reports these days. I don't think we have enough infrastructure yet to understand what are we doing here and what do we want to accept as okay. And I think Caroline Crenshaw and probably the new PCAOB, they're, they're all pushing people to think about this more because I don't think we have the good answers for it yet. Matt, I'd like to end with a few words on uh, enforcement uh, because you concluded your blog post with a few words about enforcement and where you might see the SEC not simply probing companies but actually bringing enforcement actions uh, against companies. For a long time, when we have seen the SEC take action on a cybersecurity breach, it has generally been around they misled investors. They knew they had a breach, and they only disclosed in the 10Q, well, theoretically, we might have a breach, but they already knew it. Or maybe the insiders at the company were trading their own personal shares ahead of disclosing the bad news, and the SEC would sanction a company for insider trading violations or poor internal controls there. Now, the question that I would have is, let's say your company is terrible at training employees not to click on phishing links. Let's say that your company is terrible at upgrading your ERP software. Everybody just kind of upgrades whenever their computer gives their own little, oh, we have system upgrades, do you want to do it? And nobody, no regular employees know where these patch upgrades come from. You get a little alert on the corner of your iMac, and you say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll update. Let's say you're terrible at those things. So is that now a material weakness that your auditor would declare? I would say probably yes. And let's say you then fell victim to a business email exploit and you wired $100 million to some overseas account because your training sucked and your employees were duped. So is that poor cybersecurity that would qualify as not safeguarding the assets? And would the SEC then sanction the company? I mean, I don't necessarily want to say that the SEC is going to start fining companies for failing at cybersecurity because it's really hard to do. But if you've got a glaring example of negligence, maybe the SEC would. And where is that line between negligence and just not being able to keep pace with an enormous, difficult, fast-moving problem? I'm not quite sure. I don't think the SEC knows yet, but I could see the line between negligence and just running as hard as you can, but it's still not fast enough. I think that line might get blurry. Matt, as our listeners know, this podcast is entitled Into the Weeds, and I think today is one of the best examples of how we can take a subject and really take a deep dive into it. There's a lot here, both practical, rational, philosophical, and perhaps other. So all I can conclude is this is something we're going to be revisiting down the road. All right, Tom. Thank you. box again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm going to link to Matt's blog post in our show notes, so check that out for additional information. I'd also like to tell you about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Design Thinking in Compliance, where with my co-host Karsten Tams, we take a look at the social engineering tool of design thinking and how it can create greater efficiency and effectiveness in your compliance program. So check out Design Thinking in Compliance. It posts every other Wednesday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.